so many of us have pivoted during this pandemic. And here our old friend Adrian Scarborough has now written a play, which he is currently co-starring in at the Nottingham Playhouse. Good God, man, how do you do it? Well, it's one of the lovely things about pandemics, isn't it? It's sort of the sabbatical you've always dreamed of. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, whatever it is, wherever you are. I'm Austin Titchener, one-third of the Reduced Shakespeare Company, and you're listening to this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, now in its 16th year, number 823, Adrian's Allen Adaptation. Two-time Olivier Award-winning actor Adrian Scarborough has written The Clothes They Stood Up In, an adaptation of the novella of the same name by Alan Bennett, one of the members of Beyond the Fringe and author of such wildly successful plays as The Madness of King George, Talking Heads, The History Boys, and The Lady in the Van. The Clothes They Stood Up In concerns a mild-mannered couple, played by Adrian and Sophie Thompson, returning home from the opera one evening to find their flat completely bare, and every single item they own, from books and clothes to toilet paper and appliances, stolen. Adrian began our conversation by talking about how his adaptation came to be, how it has changed, and what some of the challenges have been during this process of wearing both actor and playwright hats been rewritten about 17 times, which is terrible. And were I not such a ludicrously wild ego, um, I wouldn't have been in it. Um, but the worst bit of being in it has been that I have 17 different versions of the script in my head. And remembering the right one has been nigh on impossible. I just sort of go off into different versions at different times with the other actors looking at me completely gone out, going, what on earth is he talking about? There is a there is a line in the complete history of America abridged, which we wrote all, coming up on 30 years ago. And I will still, every now and then, say it and read a look at me going, uh, no, we cut that line about 25 years ago. <laughs> <laughs> it's amazing, though, how they get fixed in your head, isn't it? Yeah. When, you know, when they've come out of your head and and you know, onto a computer or via a pen to some paper, how they just sort of glue themselves in there and you will not let go. It's hard to get rid of an, an, an initial impulse, right? Because it seems it's not crafted. It just it just happened. And, and then you craft it and you go, oh, but the initial impulse is still there. Yeah, I think that's dead right. Very good. Um, This is, um, but, the, but you and Alan Bennett go way back back right you've been in a lot of his plays and and like him are a national treasure bless not sure i'm that um not sure i will be after this <laughs> um, yes 91 we first uh, encountered one another i was playing first rabbit in uh, his adaptation of wind in the willows at the national theater and yeah we've sort of um We've popped up in one another's lives ever since, really. But this came about because he, I'd read the story. We were working together at the time it came out, when it was first published in 96. And it was his first sort of foray into stories. Oh, cool. It was his first novella. And I read it. And I just thought it was the funniest and most wonderful, wonderful thing. And I said to him, it would make the most amazing stage play. 
you should definitely do it as a play. And he said, yes, I think about that. And, um, and then when we were doing Habit of Art a bit later on, I said to him, did you ever, you know, have you ever come up with anything for it? And he said, no, no, I, I moved on to other things and I don't want to go back there now. And then he just very pointedly went, you should do it. So I just sort of thought, well, okay. And then that sort of rattled around in my head for a bit. And then I, in the end, I just sort of thought, oh, come on. You know it so well. Mm. And I could quote sort of great chunks of it. And I'd done it as an evening reading. I read the whole thing sort of start to finish in about an hour and a half um, at uh, my wife's speakeasy event. Um, and we did it as a sort of, you know, one off just to raise a bit of money for charity. And it went, the story just went down so well. But the most extraordinary thing was that people came up afterwards and kind of went, how do we not know this story? How do we not know it? And lots and lots of people don't know it, which is an extraordinary thing, really. They know lots of his other short stories or his diaries or Lady in the Van or, you know, those sorts mm -hmm. of things. The Uncommon Reader, that kind of stuff. But yeah, somehow this one sort of slipped under the net, which is fantastic for me. Yeah, that's... Um, well, and, and, and how fantastic to have gotten the impetus being a blessing from the man himself to go and do it. Indeed, and he's been very... I mean, he couldn't have been more generous if he tried, really. I think he's given us four notes, um, uh, one of which being, it's too long. <laughs> Louder, faster, funnier. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, and your ego, say what you will about your ego, um, you've still kept him um, number one in the billing. Well, that seemed to me to be, uh, you know, de rigueur, because who wouldn't want Alan Bennett at the top of one's poster? <laughs> Indeed. If he's going to be generous enough to share his percentage with me, which he is, um, <laughs> I just sort of thought I'd make, make good use of his commercial commerciability. Can you say that? No. So you've you've certainly, God knows, said enough of other people's lines. Was it fun crafting lines for yourself? And was it fun crafting lines for the other actors, knowing that they were going to be delighted saying them? Yes, it really, really was. It, what I've tried to do is keep as much of his dialogue as I possibly can. So pretty much to the letter, mm. everything that he put in the novella is in, in one place or another. It's not always where he wrote it in the novella. But <laughs> I've managed to squeeze them in in other places. So most of his dialogue is there. And um, the, the issue being, of course, that one has to then try and write scintillatingly witty funny dialogue of the quality and caliber of alan bennett which is not an easy thing to do i've discovered um and sometimes i have to say the gags do fall on the cheaper side but well you're you're, you're talking to a man who has zero problem with that as you know <laughs> um what and yeah what's that uh what did what concoction did you brew and intake to allow you to write in the uh, Alan Bennett style? Was it just Earl Grey tea or something stiffer or mostly Earl Grey tea actually? And I did do quite a bit of listening to other stuff. Mm. So we have a copy of it on audio. Yeah. So I could always kind of go back to to hear to listen to his voice doing it, which actually was incredibly helpful at certain points. But then I sort of tried listening. I tried listening to some of the Talking Heads 
uh, monologues as well, some of the originals of those, because we had those as recordings too. And actually, other people doing Alan Bennett was as helpful as Alan Bennett doing Alan Bennett. So... Right. What do we, yes, what his words sound like coming out of other people's other mouths. Other people's mouths, yeah. But I kind of think I did do quite a lot of bad Alan Bennett impressions as I was saying them, just to see what, you know, whether the rhythm was kind of there. And yeah, anyway. Are you doing that thing? I mean, I know, uh, God, I know that problem of, of, of versions bouncing around in your head. Are you doing that thing where... Um, where you hear something on stage in the middle of a performance while you're acting and go, ooh, must make a note of that. Go back and look at that. And then and then you have to race to your to your dressing room table to write write down what you thought. Yes. Or it's really lovely to be able to talk to another writer about that. Or you forget your next line, I've discovered. Because you're so busy thinking with your writer's hat on yeah. rather than concentrating on your acting that you cock everybody up by not being on on the ball right. there's a couple of really really fast and furious fast sequences which where somebody the police are at the door and one character is stuck in a toilet and the other person is running around trying to find some toilet paper <laughs> uh in a house where there is nothing so <laughs> I'm constantly, I've constantly got an ear on the farce and, the th and those three people's ingredients and play within it. Um, and it goes so quick that often I kind of, I'm so busy thinking about whether the rhythm's right and how we can make it better. But yeah, I cock it up. Well, and now you're listening for audience response as well, yeah? Which is a real problem when you're stuck behind a toilet door at the back of the set and you can't hear a thing. Oh, that, that's you stuck in the toilet. Oh, right. Yeah. So we've spent quite a lot of this afternoon putting microphones uh, behind the front door and in the toilet so that we can actually pitch them up to the audience, but also so that we can then get fold back from out front back mm -hmm. to us. Mm -hmm. So tonight we're going to see whether that actually helps and works and makes us... Sorry, that's all very technical. No, it's fat. I love this stuff. It's fascinating. But, but changing hats in that way, you you must have found that really, really difficult, don't you? It, uh, uh, constantly, yes. I'm doing. I mean, the the trick we've come up with is in the early drafts of our scripts. Now we hire three other actors, and get them to learn all the changes. And once we've mostly said it, then we can start to learn it. And you can start to learn it yourself. We've skipped a step. Yeah. Um. Very but good. but. But 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 when I'm on the road with other actors and I'm the writer and ostensibly the director, then I have to be that asshole who's directing the his fellow actors, and I hate that part. Yeah, that's no fun. Yeah. But it, but occasionally I will have other actors say to me, and maybe Sophie Thompson has said this to you, I can look in your eyes and see that you've gone back to your dressing room to yeah, make yeah, a yeah, note no, to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, no, she has said that a couple of times. She said, I sort of lost you there halfway through act two. Yep, you did. I was just thinking we really need to cut that bit. <laughs> This is Christopher Moore, the author of Fool and the Serpent of Venice, and you're listening to the Reduced Shakespeare Podcast.
Where can you RSC the RSC? The Reduced Shakespeare Company returns to touring next week, performing Hamlet's Big Adventure, a prequel in Rolla, Missouri on September 21st, Bloomington, Illinois on September 23rd, Jasper, Indiana on September 25th, and the Wharton Center in East Lansing, Michigan on November 9th and 10th. Check out the touring page at our website, ReducedShakespeare.com, or our Twitter feed at Reduced for the latest information. Now back to my conversation with Adrian Scarborough, one of the stars and also the author of The Clothes They Stood Up In, now playing at the Nottingham Playhouse until October 1st, 2022. The other thing I dislike as well is going into um, a note session with the director because it sort of makes you feel like you're ganging up on the other four actors. Mm. So, so we do this thing where we kind of have meetings and then five minutes before we're due to do the note session, we, we go our separate ways, Adam and I, and we kind of come in from, yeah, make yeah. different entrances at different times. <laughs> Silly things, but they're sort of, you know. No, but I would imagine, too, during note sessions, you're, um, you're, you're, ta- you're collecting notes for two people. You He's know? brilliant, though. I tell him all of the things that I want changed or want to note the other actors on, and he takes them as his own. Ah. Very brilliantly and very politically correctly kind of goes, I was just wondering, so I'm hearing, you know, everything that I've said five minutes earlier. Right. Put it in his mouth and, uh, and he just hands it out as a note as if it's come from him. It's and now great. the other actors who have listened to this conversation will know that every time Adam starts with, I was just wondering, oh, this is from Aid. <laughs> Um and and what's it like? Um, uh, uh, this is just fan fanboy stuff. What's it like working with Sophie Thompson, who is 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 at least is a national treasure at least for me and my wife because we saw her as Rosalind on our honeymoon at the Royal wow. Shakespeare Company in Stratford. Wow, she was amazing. Yeah, I bet she was, and she's delightful. Every time we see her, we go, "I want her. I want to see more of Sophie Thompson." Well, that's sort of why I wanted her cast. Because I never think you see quite enough of Sophie Thompson. And you certainly don't see her playing lead roles in, you know, big theatre shows. Because she's been dubbed as a character actress. And as a consequence, you know, has had to wait until her bloody 50s before people give her a decent shot at something. And I find that really, really frustrating uh, and sort of, know from my own experience how that can sometimes feel. So it's actually rather lovely to be, a, be, be able to cast two, you know, middle-aged character actors the way you want them, as leading roles. In the leading roles, yes. That, that's a, you, car, a we character actors of the world, thank you and salute you. Absolutely. And the other thing that I've done is, because I hate and have spent far too long uh, in my career, sitting in dressing rooms, waiting for entrances to come along, I've ensured that the other three actors play multiple parts. So it doesn't give them any time really to sit around because when they're not on stage doing a scene, they're frantically changing a wig and sticking on a beard or a moustache um, or changing into a different frock. I lo- Again, I love that. I mean, I love that uh, as an actor and as an audience member yeah. too. Well, that's what I think. I think audiences like to see actors be, you know, imaginative and creative and they like the variation, don't they? They do. 
You've done so much as an actor, so many different kinds of scripts, and in so many different media, film and television and 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 radio and 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 stage. What's it what, what's it like now to be a writer for a medium? How are you are you taking in the process? Is the process changed for you in a good way, in a ple- in a pleasant way? What's it, what's it all, what, what's that like? It's really really lovely sitting the other side yeah. and sort of watching lots of that happen. And I very much enjoyed I love it when people kind of come up and go we need uh We've got six different doorbell sounds. What do you want it to sound like? Do you want a buzz? Do you want a bing bong? Do you want a whatever? And um, and you kind of have to go, oh, well, I always thought it was this or, you know. Well, and I read a draft of the script. I mean, maybe it was very far along, but I remember looking at it going, oh, my gosh, this is not just a blank space. This is a there are there are major set pieces and major major set changes in this and do you see all these people scrambling around and you think oh my god they're doing this just because i wrote it down i did i had until we started teching i really genuinely didn't realize just how big a technical ask it is it's massive (laughs) there's more props than nottingham playhouse have ever had in a play here which is wild given the premise that everything has been stolen from the apartment exactly yes Yes, yeah. it's a play with no props the first <laughs> half. Um, yeah, it is. I, I've loved every minute. I can't begin to tell you how thrilling it's been. And it's been really, really lovely being part of the casting and having conversations with directors. You suddenly sort of feel empowered in a way that actors often don't. That, that actors don't get told the things that they sometimes need to kind of give them confidence and make them feel okay about a production. There's a lot of secrecy often, I think. about unnecessary secrecy. Yes, I think so. Um, People don't like sharing for some bizarre reason. Or they kind of feel, oh, God, well, I've had this conversation with 30 creatives and now I've got to have it with some bloody actors as well. (laughs) So they get left out of it. Um, So I've really enjoyed that and I've really enjoyed... Being in the room and having to come up with the goods every now and again, where somebody will go, uh, will go, okay, that's no good. That doesn't work. Let's ditch that line. It's not helpful to us. I'll come up with something else. And just trying to come up with something else as quickly as I possibly can without sort of having to put a, make a big long list and go home and think about them all night long. I've been trying, I've really tried to kind of do it there and then. That's it for this week's Reduced Shakespeare Company podcast, except for one more thing, which I'll share with you in about 60 seconds, so stick around. The Clothes They Stood Up In, starring Adrian Scarborough and Sophie Thompson, runs at the Nottingham Playhouse until October 1st, 2022. Go to nottinghamplayhouse.co.uk for more information. Then send us your novella adaptations via email to feedback at reducedshakespeare.com or throw a comment to us on Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram or on our own actual website, reducedshakespeare.com or visit my website, theshakespeareans.com. You can also follow Adrian Scarborough on Instagram at 80 Scarbs. Thanks as always to emotionally stunted middle-class Brit Matthew Croak, Web services by Ginger Power Limited. Music by John Weber and Garage Band. 
Our random fan shout-out this week goes to Elizabeth Crowell. No reason, it's just random. Special thanks to Christopher Moore, the author of the novel Fool, a role Adrian memorably played opposite Simon Russell Beale's King Lear. And finally, thanks very much to you for listening. Please continue to stay safe, get your boosters, and keep your masks on. I'm Austin Titchener, 823 2469ths of the Reduced Shakespeare Company. Adrian Scarborough and Alan Bennett. I mean, how can you go wrong, seems to me. Well, you could go horribly wrong. But you haven't done it yet. No, no, we haven't done it yet. And actually, audiences have been very kind and they seem to be liking it and it, they seem to be laughing a lot, which is always a good sign. Um, and we've made sure that it's not too long. In fact, we took five minutes off the second half on Saturday night, which was just joyous. It was such a treat. Uh, with cuts or just going lickety-split? No, just really getting a shift on and going at it. About an hour the first half and about 52 the second. That's very presentable. It's a, I think that's the perfect length for any play. Very few plays need to be longer than that. Yeah, maybe Hamlet, maybe Leah. Maybe. This podcast is a production of the Reduce Shakespeare Company. Reducing expectations since 1981. Go to ReduceShakespeare.com for performance dates, actor bios, email newsletters, and so much less. 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 And so much less.